0: You're listening to a A Mamma Mia podcast. Lady Startup Stories. I'm Shazzy Hunt, and this is Mamma Mia's podcast where we find out how female entrepreneurs built their businesses. This podcast is a part of the Lady Startup movement that helps women launch and grow their businesses. If it was founded or co founded by a woman, it's a Lady Startup. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Alex, and this is our Lady Startup Story. Super. It's something a lot of us avoid thinking about. It's that form you fill out at the start of a new job or those letters you get in the mail that you probably ignore, but no, you shouldn't. Frankly, for a lot of us, as much as our retirement savings should be something we all care about, it's almost always left behind. But thankfully, our guests today want to change that. Christina Hobbs and Alex Andrews knew each other for years through their work in the world of finance and super. They were both passionate about creating change and knew that superannuation was a way that we as individuals could foster change on a larger scale. For years, they had been talking about creating a fund for anyone who identifies as a woman, but life took over. Alex developed a chronic illness and Christina was working for the UN overseas. But in 2018, things shifted. They were both ready and felt Australian women were ready for a new type of super fund, one that was based around gender and one that not only would give women a leg up on their super balance, but also across all their finances. So they brought in a third co-founder, Zoe Lamont, to help with the financial coaching side of their business. Together, the trio launched Verve Super, an ethical super fund by women for women. So what I want to know is, why is super something that gets such a bad rap? And how do you even go about starting a super fund, let alone setting it apart in such a saturated market? Christina and Alex, join me now. Ladies, welcome to Lady Startup Stories. And I need to start today with this unignorable statistic, and that is that Australian women retire with 35% less super than men. Now, this is startling, terrifying, and I need you just very briefly to distill it down for me. How has this happened And then why did that ultimately become one of the main driving forces behind the creation of Verve?
1: Yeah, I think if you look at retirement inequality, it's really the summation of all the other inequality that women experience. So from our very first, well, I'll say from our very first job when women start their careers and they're already earning less than men and less super than men. But if you ask Alex this question, she normally goes back and says, hang on, actually look at children's pocket money. Girls are already earning less. So it's really this lifetime of, getting less pay, taking career breaks when we have children. But fundamentally, when it comes to retirement inequality, it's all of these challenges that we face, but it's also that we have a system that was actually never really designed to support people with our lifestyles or our career journeys to actually retire comfortably. And that's ultimately the biggest problem.
0: I feel like that's the trailer for this discussion. (laughs) So, we are going to go way, 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 way back now. I'm going to start with you, Christina. Take me back because your career journey has had this really circular feel where you started in super and finance, then you took a couple of huge deviations and then came back again. So, tell me a bit about it.
1: Yeah, it has been a bit of a crazy journey. I started off working for Deloitte in finance, loved it, loved the people. One day just sort of had that moment of, oh, my God, what am I doing? You know, got in the elevator, crammed in with 30 other people. Everyone was sweating. I think it was a hot summer day in Sydney. <laughs> Went up to the 10th floor, walked out. You know, it was just one of those sort of moments of what am I doing with my life? So love loved the people, love the job, didn't have the passion for what I was doing. Ended up joining the UN, going to Nepal for what I thought was going to be one year. And one year felt like a really long time. But that ended up being 15 years, ended up working in all sorts of crazy places, spent the last sort of six years in Syria, the Middle East, Iraq. Then, strangely enough, meandered back into superannuation largely through just starting to look at what my own money was invested in. So one day realizing that the superannuation fund that I was in was actually investing my money in weapons, in nuclear weapons, fossil fuels and other awful things. And that really started this journey of you know, why is this happening and what can we do about it? And and ultimately I came back to Australia to start my
0: own superannuation fund with some other lovely women. I do want to know about when you were with the UN in that NGO landscape. Finance seems like a really unlikely match in this situation, but why is it critical?
1: Yeah, I just joined at this really interesting time where the whole massive humanitarian industry, if you want to call it that, was shifting from giving people things like blankets and water and You know, the kind of instincts we have when there's natural disasters to say, hang on a moment, if markets are functioning or if we can get them functioning, like, let's just give people cash and people can work out what they need, you know, far more efficiently than we can work out what they need and and give them things. But the organisation I work for, which is the UN World Food Programme, it's the largest humanitarian organisation in the world. At the time, it was a large male workforce, all logisticians. So it was men that were incredibly good at getting trucks through six conflict lines or you know building emergency bridges after floods but they were the kind of guys to sit down and be like well how do we set up a cash transfer system to asylum seekers that don't have any id and have never used cash cards before how do we support them to get cash and to access markets so although i also had no experience in that field they sort of
0: said hey you know finance so why don't you try to work this out When you did come back, you had another deviation into running for Senate with this kind of ethical, you know, business focus and environmental focus as your platforms. Again, how did that turn build into what ultimately became Verve's ethos and reason for being? Yeah, so when I came
1: back, I was really like focused on this big issue of climate change and that was from having worked in food insecurity and realising, hang on, you can spend your whole career, supporting people to access food and emergencies, but then we've got this whole issue of climate change making everything worse. And so at the same time that my interest was started getting peaked in, what's my money invested in, why am I being invested in fossil fuels? I was looking at all these other avenues to create change and the Senate one was just a bit of a crazy one. We, um, I was living in Canberra at the time. It was a very conservative Liberal Senator there who I think really I felt wasn't in line with the values of Canberra and even Canberra and Liberals and had just been announced as one of the biggest fossil fuel supporters and climate change deniers in Australia. So I thought no one else was throwing their hat in the ring. So I thought, you know what, I'll just stand up, I'll give it a shot and see how we go. You know, it didn't work out and it was a lot of hard work, but it was also an incredible journey about learning how to build a community of people who wanted to help me, you know, learning how to engage supporters. And I think a lot of that has come through to Verve where, you know, we have this big community of women who love what we're doing and being able to channel that love and really getting other people to support and become champions of your brand. I think is something that that I've learned along the way.
0: Amazing. And I want to switch it over to Alex now. Let's go back to your early studying and career days because... You also started working in super after studying a Bachelor of Laws and Psychology. So tell me a bit about the light bulb moment that made you go, hey, super is the world I want to go into.
2: It was actually a light bulb moment at university when someone drew a bell curve on the board of all of Australia's capital and where so much of that capital was sitting and that being in superannuation and what it was being invested in were not necessarily things that would serve our future as a whole community, let alone women, seeing what it would look like if we shifted that bell curve just slightly towards a better and more sustainable future, what that could mean for Australia and for the world. I don't think I ever would have picked superannuation as where I would find the most purpose and the most drive and motivation. But I think when you understand the impact that you can have when you shift dollars towards what you believe in and purpose that you think will serve our whole community, that is incredibly motivating. So it really actually did start in a university classroom. And I think I saw the power and the impact and it was like tunnel vision. I just knew that I wanted to be a part of something that was helping to move dollars towards a better future. It actually really was like one of those moments where everything else just went quiet and it was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So how did you then get into it? I started working for an ethical super fund and I started to kind of learn about superannuation and then it was really interesting because my role really was around, it was really customer focused. And so I was speaking to customers every day. I was engaging with, and I think when you're passionate about something, you know, when you just start talking to everyone, like you're like, only thing that matters is where your superannuation is and Mm. so I maybe never spoken to people in my life about their money or their super before and all of a sudden I'm like on the phone to my aunties and my uncles and I'm (laughs) I'm like so where's your super (laughs) and what's your retirement plan look like it became kind of everything that I thought about and through so many of those conversations that was when I started to see, hold on a minute there seems to be just on its face, just from my very anecdotal experiences, this difference in both attitude and financial outcomes between mm. men and women. Mm. There's more than just one issue here. There's more than just an issue of where is the money going? It's how is the money being distributed and who to and why is there that differentiation that's gender based? That was a, a very natural development of being in superannuation, something you can't avoid.
0: Going back to what we spoke about at the start about how women end up with less super on average than men, have you in your personal life come across anyone who has experienced that? Have you had a first hand brush with that? My mum, I think she had six or eight superannuation funds.
2: She was a single mum, very, very smart, switched on. She was a director of technology companies managing teams of, you know, 50, 100 people, very capable person, yet had eight different superannuation funds and hadn't really engaged with superannuation. She really started work when superannuation came in in Australia and when it became compulsory. It's still, for somebody in her position, so fortunate and so, you know, what I would consider like a total, like a boss mom. She hadn't really paid much attention to it and didn't even know I mean I remember doing the ATO search for her I'm like oh did you know you had this super fund and this super fund to her credit she was like oh amazing like what can I do about this like how can I swap things over but in reality for so much of the time that she had had a superannuation fund in order to move the super from one fund to another you needed to fill out paper forms it was only in 2013 when online forms became available and ethical funds were the ones that championed that to start with, that we actually started to see people in a position where they could take control of their superannuation and start to either consolidate or make other decisions. And it was, you know, watching her financial journey and watching her, to be honest, with minimal effort, just a few conversations, a little bit of attention, probably took her a couple of hours to make key decisions. And since then, what has happened to her superannuation, you know, in the last like five to 10 years has been a massive shift. And I think that seeing that and having that be so close to home and seeing the real outcomes that that will have for her retirement is incredibly motivating. I personally don't want to be in the same position that she was at that point in in her life. I want to be on the front foot of my superannuation of my finances. And I want that for every other Australian woman.
0: And then in terms of your career, you were killing it in ethical super and loving the realm you're in, educating everyone around you, obviously. So what happened in terms of you leaving? I had chronic illness, so it was
2: not a decision that I really wanted to make. It was one that I physically had to make. When I talk about that period of time, actually, Christina was somebody that I spoke to as a kind of a mentor in that, who, you know, had had her own health journey and her own experiences working in really challenging jobs. And it just became something that I needed to take the time out to work on my own health and wellbeing being I kind of went away and I spent about 18 months in recovery and in that time kind of really delve further into what I was really passionate about, which was women's issues and women's rights. And I started a a charity to end violence against women and I kind of then re-engaged
0: when I was ready. And did it shape how you approached, you know, this next stage of your life in your career? Oh, absolutely.
2: I think when you have gone through something that's physically very challenging and you've experienced a health crisis, you can't help but look at things through a completely different lens. But it also gave me just this absolute lease on life. And I don't plan on wasting one ounce of energy that I have. So I'm going to direct it towards things and people and missions that are fulfilling and impactful and have purpose.
0: Let's talk about bringing the trio together and forming Verve. Which one was it first? Did you, the three of you know each other or did the idea come first and then you found each other?
1: So Alex and me, we sort of, because we'd known each other for many years through this ethical super space, and I think every time we caught up, we were sort of like, blah, 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 we made superannuation fund, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we <super> fund. <laughs> for like many years, it was sort of like the thing that we kept kind of popping around. But, you know, I think, you know, based on where we were in our own lives and I think even where Australia was at, you know, I think six, seven years earlier, I'm not sure if a women's superannuation fund would have worked as well as it has now. And then I think suddenly it was sort of like all the cards kind of came together at the same time. For me, I was back in Australia ready to do this. Alex was, you know, really enthusiastic about doing this. And we just felt like, you know, the Banking Royal Commission hadn't yet started. We were like super frustrated about you know, this really poor ethics and lack of accountability in the market and just super frustrated that nothing was being done about it. And so it just really felt for us like, you know what, like, let's just go and do it. And then how we got Zoe on board was quite funny. We really knew from day one that we wanted to not just sort of support our members to invest ethically, but we really wanted to support them and coach them and be there for them throughout their lives and their wealth building journey. And so we started looking at you know, who's out there? Who's a woman who's a financial coach? Who can we bring on board to really lead this? And then we found Zoe and Zoe had started a not-for-profit organization called 10,000 Girls. Over a decade, she would coached 10,000 women in rural parts of Australia and in capital cities. Super empowering. I think we listened to a couple of things, podcasts or videos that she was in. She was just full of enthusiasm and passion and we were like, we need her on board. And it was actually really funny because her website had been hacked a few months before. So she'd taken all email addresses off. There was just this one phone number we found. So I was like, I'm just going to give this Zoe woman a call. (laughs) And I called her and she was literally in a garden, like tending to her roses as her little kids were running around her. And she picked up the phone and I was like, hi, I'm Christina. I'm going to sound weird, but I'm wanting to start a superannuation fund for women. And she was like, I've always wanted to start a bank for women. And then we literally just talked for like 35 minutes, 40 minutes while she was in a rose garden. And she lived in rural New South Wales in Wagga. That's about two and a bit hours drive from Canberra. I think a couple of days later, she jumped in a car and like drove to Canberra. And she was basically on board from that first conversation. She was like, I'm going to have to meet you in person, but, you know, I'm in. Um, <laughs>
0: That's unbelievable from a cold call. I'd be like, I, is this some kind of scam? Are you trying to take my credit card details?
1: And what was really funny was when we launched the, you know, I think the first month, me and Alex were probably getting more people calling us, emailing us to be like, oh, we had this idea or I had this idea but I didn't know how to do it or I never thought it was possible. More people wanting to be involved and and telling us that they wanted to do this idea than we actually had people joining the fund at some point. (laughs) Like it just felt like there were so many women in Australia that had like really been thinking about this and so that was just awesome, like, you know, pulling all those people together and being
0: like, okay, let's make this thing work has been wonderful. It kind of brings me to what you know, really struck me when we started, you know, when I found out I was interviewing the two of you and I was like, most of the businesses we talk about on the show, you know, I have this amazing product. I have this amazing store. Not so much. I have this amazing super fund that I want to start as a business. And I imagine one of the reasons is because It's a really big, scary, terrifying industry that has heaps of hoops and checks and balances that you have to leap through, run through, figure out a way around. So walk me through how you even begin creating a financial industry as a business. In a
1: nutshell, there are sort of all these for really good reason, right? Like it is incredibly hard to start a superannuation fund. And although that's really annoying for us, like That's actually a really, really good thing because it's people's retirement savings. The government doesn't want any issues with any superannuation fund ever, because you know any sort of fraud or mismanagement could really bring down trust in the whole system. And superannuation is incredibly regulated, so that you know there can't be that sort of form of fraud. So for us, it's it was getting a trustee in place. A trustee is an organisation that has a really sort of challenging license to acquire. They ultimately hold the money. And they are really the ones most accountable to the regulator. Then there's an investment manager, there's an administrator, there's all these different levels which create these incredible checks and balances in super to ensure that people can be really confident with the system. But on the other hand, for us, it was really challenging. You've got to convince the regulator, you've got to convince the trustee, you've got to convince all these different layers that, you know, you're responsible people that will not just look after people's money, but will
2: really help it to grow. It really comes down to finding the right partners. And that's that's true in any business. Every business is challenging. Every business has its hurdles. And it's just about finding the right partners and the right pathway. And I think when we think about how many people might have thought about this as a path forward, it was just felt like the right time for us. And so, yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was challenging. And it certainly has been but also we've had great support and we've been able to kind of unfurl the onion and the layers and make sure that we can build a product that is really impactful, that supports women and that is continuing to grow.
0: Talk to me about the financial costs involved with setting up a financial institution and how you went about backing that.
1: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I think in the early stages that was, the most stressful and I think you know in honestly the reason why we got the ground probably like anyone listening to your podcast in a way is the naivety of it if you really knew what was ahead of you you might just never get started but you know there are huge costs and I think something that's really unique to superannuation but maybe also some of the other listeners can identify with it as well is that it's something where your costs are really upfront because you've got to get all this legal framework in place you've got to get your technology in place so people can join. You, you've got the marketing costs of trying to get people to join a super fund. But in the case of superannuation, you really make your cost back over the lifetime of a member. So if somebody stays with you for 20, 30 years, that's when you sort of start to get value from that person. So it is a very capital intensive. It's, it's not like we're spending $20 manufacturing something and selling it for $30 and can gradually build up. You have this huge outlay at the beginning. So we initially got on actually through the process of bringing in these other service providers and, as Alex said, sort of trying to unfurl the onion and and put it together, we actually, one of those service providers said, hey, we love your idea, we love what you're doing, could we invest in your business and be part of it in that way? That really helped us along. In the early stages, we also, as founders, put in some capital, which was, you know, stressful and I think in retrospect, if we'd we'd known more about capital raising, probably would have just gone out and found some more rich people to help us at that point, but... (laughs) but we didn't. And I remember just this really frustrating time of that meeting when we realized that we needed the funds. And I remember, you know, some of my mentors or or people that I was sort of starting to make connections with were like, you know, just go out and do a family, what they call like a family and friend round, like just go into a family and friend round and and raise a million off your friends and family. And I'm like, what friends and family do you have?
0: Can I join your family?
1: We don't have those friends and family. And like, You know, I think to the extent that we had maybe had some friends or some family that could have done that, you know, the stress of taking on people's money and being responsible for that. And, you know, maybe that's a bit of a difference between, you know, the way we look at the business versus a lot of sort of like the tech bros kind of look at it of like really feeling that weight and anxiety around taking that money on. So, but, you know, little by little, we learned how to capital raise. So, we did some different what are called incubators or, or startup programs. We started making different connections through some of the mentors that we did have. They gave us advice. We started to slowly build our confidence. We did a small investment round of, I guess, people that were more friendly to us at that point. It was only last year that we finally closed our first big round. So that was a $2 million plus round. And prior to that, we'd really been existing on, you know, really watching every single dollar. Like I remember Alex used to call me and be like, now, this subscription is $200 or we can do it monthly for 20 Now, what do you think we should do? You know, and it was just the kind of decisions that other superannuation funds aren't making, right? But I think on the other hand, now that we're growing, I love that we sort of still have some of that mentality because... It means that we really try to funnel every access that we have towards actually providing outcomes. So it's like, let's, you know, hire a coach to support our members with this or let's spend the money during this course rather than kind of blowing money on big overheads. So, yeah, it was really challenging. It was really stressful in those early days, but I don't regret how we started.
0: I'd love to hear a bit more about the kinds of people you were able to get investing and particularly if you went you know, kind of for non-traditional people that would invest in this space?
1: Verve is by women, for women. It's women owned and it's for women. And that's really important for us. So when we went out there to start trying to raise capital, there's a bit of a challenge because the majority of investors are men. They're either individual male investors or they work for venture capital firms and the majority of them are men. And so we sort of had this dual problem of one, Some of those initial conversations we were having with those traditional investors, they just couldn't understand our business and why we existed and why there was a need for it. And I think both Alex and I were just a bit over it when we went into investor meetings and having to like not just kind of convince some of the fundamentals of our business, but actually having to be like, no, trust me, women aren't being served in this market. Mm. You know, it was just a really boring level of conversation that we just didn't want to be having with, you know, people are going to be in a relationship with us for the rest of our business lives. And so at the same time, we started nurturing women investors. So that started with going out to, okay, who are some of the women investors who typically invest? Can we get them on board? Yes, we can. But then how do we actually build up this community of women investors? And something that I'm really proud of was that we didn't go to one VC and get the money. We actually ended up getting our raise from over 20 investors, the vast majority of them women, or they were impact investors. And there was a lot of women who this is the first startup they've ever invested in. And for us, that wasn't just about going in and doing sort of a really compelling, charismatic pitch and being like, can you give us your money? (laughs) It was saying to that person like, hey, why haven't you invested in startups before? Where's your knowledge at? Hey, can we link you with someone that we know who does this kind of impact investment? You know, like, let us not be the ones just pitching at you, like, can I link you with this other investor that's been doing a lot of impact investing? They can talk you through how to make a good decision and then you can evaluate us. So we actually did a lot of that kind of level of support, which is a lot more than you'd normally see in a capital raise, but hey, it paid off. And the part that I think me and Alex are just like absolutely excited about now is that the fund is at the position now where we are actually looking at making our first investment into female founders. So we're looking at investing now in a fund that will invest in other female founders. So this is the circle we imagined of women, women's capital and how it should be working right. So yeah, it's really exciting for us as well to be part of that journey for other women now.
0: I do want to know, you mentioned it before, obviously, there's so much set up when you make this kind of business before you've even got a single member on board. So tell me about once everything was in place, all, all the... I's have been dotted, T's have been crossed, you're up and running with your site. How did you get those first members and was it a slow uptake or did it happen really quickly?
2: So while there's a lot that needs to be put in place before you can actually start inviting people in to start investing through a superannuation product – We had Zoe's fantastic community of 10,000 women and we started surveying people because we wanted to build this with actual women in mind. So we obviously, we knew what we thought was missing and and through our own experience and through Zoe's coaching, but really it was like, okay, let's just interrogate that. and, And how do we make sure that we're building this with our community, not just in mind, but at the forefront? And so, you know, in terms of those early days, it really did come from that community that had already been built and already been nurtured. So, you know, listening to lots of your other lady startups, like starting to build that community before you even go live is so important. And I think something which we really benefited from.
0: I think the other thing around trying to convince people to join a super fund goes back to a really fundamental problem with it is that super for a lot of people and especially young people is just something they spend very little time on, maybe don't even care that much about. So how did you and your founders go about constructing a message that, hey, not only should you care about your super, but you should come to our super fund? I think there's a couple of things. So I think that
1: what we learned really on is exactly what you've said is that you talk about super and people kind of put the blinkers The glaze, on. Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> even now I'm at a party and people are like, so what do you do? And I'm like, i own a super fund, and they're like, I can see them kind of like looking around like, where do I want to go now? <laughs> so we just do our business what I do at a cocktail party, which is like, but hang on, like we're ethical, we're poor women. No, but I think it's really about a couple of things. So I think the ethics is one that's really important. So The moment you tell someone, hey, do you know your money could be invested in, you know, like weapon companies, in fossil fuel companies, like, you know, you could be actually funding that latest coal mine, people are really shocked. And often it's something that they haven't heard of. And so having those conversations with people can be really powerful. And I think just as we see people using keep cups, being really conscientious about, you know, using reusable bags at the supermarket. There's a large majority of people that are now just saying like ethical super is one of those ticks. Like, yeah, I want to be invested ethically. Then you start talking to women about like, hang on, actually, we can strive for strong returns while also trying to invest your money in female founders and women's micro enterprise businesses in the Asia Pacific. We can engage people in this way. And I think that's been really important and been really inspiring for people. And, you know, often there's people that want to give more, they would love to be donating more to charity, but. They don't have that money or that freedom to to do it. They'd love to be donating more of their time, but they don't have the time to do it. And so knowing that your super is being used for those things is incredibly satisfying for a lot of people. So it's those kind of messages that I think have really inspired people. And then on the wealth side of things, I think it's really been supporting people in a positive way to just pull their heads out of the sand. Because I know that through the conversations I've had, there's a lot of women that it's a little bit more than I want to talk about super. It's actually like, I do not want to talk about super. It's like, I know I'm not on track. I have this fear. I have a bit of anxiety. I don't know how to do this. And so often what we're doing is actually helping people to release all of that. To having conversations with people where we are like, hey, we can actually help you get this sorted out, learn more about it, You know, help you set a plan for long-term, help you work out the steps you need to take. The service we kind of see that we're providing is, really helping people to reduce that anxiety and feel confident about their financial lives. And I think when you can help people feel confident, then they go and tell their friends. So, so many of our friends, it's like, so many of our members, sorry, it's, you know, they've had a free conversation with our career coach or they've had a free conversation with our divorce and separation coach. They've received some nuggets of knowledge that have really, really helped them and they'll go and tell 10, 15 of their friends. And that's how our marketing works
0: essentially. So with Verve Super, you're not, only offering super, but you're also offering these financial tools, education. Why is that important when your goal is to be a super company? You know, whatever the nugget is for you to personally
2: engage with your finances It might be superannuation. It might be taking the five minutes it takes to join Verve and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I want to come to that event. Or, oh, that's an interesting online course about insurance. I don't know what insurance I have or need or what's good value or whatever the nugget is. Or if you've read one of our our guides, like if you're having a baby and you're like, oh, I don't know how to financially plan for that. And you jump online and have a look and, and a read of the baby guide. Like if that's your way in, Oh, it's awesome. I think what we're really passionate about at Verve, our job is to lay down all of the different little keys and whatever key you pick up to unlock your financial power, that's awesome. We're just here to put them in place so that you can find your own journey, whatever that looks like, whenever that is, if you're 45 or 50 and you've never invested before and you're going to start to invest and you started to you know, unlock your financial power, then That's fantastic. And however we can be part of that journey, whether it's as your superannuation fund, whether it's a a source of information you go to frequently, whether it's being able to pick up the phone and speak to somebody, one of our community engagement officers, and have a conversation with a financial institution where you aren't made to feel like you don't belong there where you can have that connection where it's not intimidating. It's actually really inviting. And to be honest, a really nice, a nice experience because all of those things matter in our financial lives and in our financial journey. And we are in the business of setting those keys for you to pick up rather than putting in barriers. And I think that that is a really clear differentiation in how we exist in what has been a really challenging industry for women. I love that analogy.
0: How many members does Verve
2: currently have? We've got over five and a half thousand members and 200 million under management. So we're still really excited to be growing the community and really
0: seeing the power of that community. How do you keep those members? Because the thing with the ability of ease to change from one super to the other, how important is it to kind of keep those members, keep them on board as well as attracting new members?
2: We have a, a really fantastic like NPS or so Net Promoter Score. Our members tend to have a fantastic experience with us thanks to kind of our focus being on their experience. You know, it's about ethics and it's about how we invest the funds, but it's also about your experience as a Verve member and making sure that you're getting the service because this is financial services. So what service are you getting for the product that you're buying? And really making sure that, Each individual has the experience of you are not just a number; you're a person. Of course, you know everybody has different needs, and those change over time. But yeah, we've we've really been able to maintain that community.
0: What does the future look like for Verve in both the short and long term?
1: Oh, we're very, very excited because we've been working very hard on something that's going to be coming soon that we're really pumped about. So. When we started Verve, and probably you can work it out by the way we're talking, is our mission was really to be that partner in wealth for women. We wanted to be that go-to destination that women go to manage wealth. And superannuation was always our first product. And as many of your listeners who've got their own businesses have probably thought through themselves, it's like, do something awesome to start and then build out the next awesome thing and the next awesome thing. So now we've been working probably the last six months really heavily on the next awesome thing, which is going to be an investment platform. That will be available for men and women, but really tailored for women. And the reason we've developed this is because what we've realized over the last few years is that many of our members and so many of the women in our community have come to us with the same problem. And that same problem is I've got $5,000, I've got $10,000, I've got $20,000. Sometimes I've got over $100,000 sitting in cash in my bank. I know I need to be investing it, but I don't know how. And it's the same problem we've heard over and over again. And so we really spent, you know, probably the last two years, but really dedicatedly the last six months of how do we solve this challenge for women? So, how do we support them to take that first step and to start investing? And so we've in the process of creating Verve Money. So, if anyone listening wants to go and sign up, you can go and Google that and sign up. And again, we'll be using that community to help us build that product that that's going to be a platform specifically tailored for that person that wants that expert assistance to get their money out of their bank and to help it start growing. And that's something we're super passionate about as well because when you look at the real differences in men and women, we often see that women are more confident and better budgeters. Women are often better savers. We know that women are actually buying their first properties earlier than men. The biggest gap between men and women in wealth building is that women aren't confident, as confident at investing. So we're really pumped about creating a community now that's not just about super, but it's also about women being able to learn together, have conversations about investing together and to start that journey of, of wealth building through
0: investing. I like to finish it up today with the fast five. So these are just some quick fire questions. Question one, what's the most useful app you use to help with your business operation?
2: My flavor of the month is Reclaim, which is like a calendar app that helps me make sure that I'm getting enough time for deep work and that I'm actually taking a lunch break. <laughs>
0: so, Question two, what's the part of the business that you love the most and hate the most?
1: So love is just working with an amazing team of supportive women and yeah, being able to support women all day long, whether it's our staff or our members. I think just having that being what fuels your day is incredibly fulfilling
2: what we hate we work in in one of the largest gaps so so financial services has one of the largest gaps in pay so it's 26% i think in financial services and i think just working in that industry every day you really get the experience of of what it's like to be working against patriarchy. So I think that that's an interesting struggle. But one of the things we love is we do get to have really fun feminist rants. So you can kind of come into the office and whether it's about, you know, a major industry inequality or social issue, or if it's just like a bad experience you had on the tram, you've got people around you to share, I guess, a little bit of that hate with. (laughs)
0: Question three, do you have any regrets about the business?
2: Maybe
1: it's around the capital. Maybe it's like it would have been a less stressful way to start a business, might have been taking on some external capital and not investing all of our life savings in it.
0: Mm. Question four, what does success look like for you? It's financial independence for myself and for all women. Brilliant. And question five, from your experience, what would be the one piece of advice you'd want to give to anyone out there who is starting their own business? I'd probably just
1: say just do it, you know, just start because, um You know, you can spend 10 years thinking about it and then you're just 10 years behind. So mine's probably just just get started and find a good community to surround yourself with because those early days will be stressful and there'll be a lot of
2: doubt. So find your community and then get started is probably mine. You need to grow as quickly as your business grows and vice versa. So if your business is growing fast, you need to invest in yourself and grow with it because that's going to be you are your business's biggest asset and pay yourself super.
0: That would be the other one. That is a great point. And on that note, Alex and Christina, thank you so much for joining us today and filling us in on the amazing story of Verve Super. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. At the end of each episode, I drop in to talk you through my favorite points from the interview you just heard so you can channel them back into your business. First up, research and development at the idea stage. Alex and Christina had both worked in the super sector before, which gave them a leg up in terms of research and development. But what they did really well was talk to the people around them. Alex saw firsthand from her mother's experience how even the brightest women can leave super on the back burner. Using this and their background in super as a lifting point, they surveyed hundreds of women to find out what the current market was missing and tailored their product around that. Obviously, getting your hands on all that data can be really tricky. So if you need help to get started with customer research to validate your business idea or just to lift your research game, The Lady Startup Academy will actually be running a free online tutorial on Monday 21st of Feb covering just that. Our founder and serial entrepreneur Mia Friedman will be sharing her top tips for DIY research. Head to the Lady Startup Instagram page to sign up and we'll pop the link to register in the show notes. Or if you can't watch it then, you can watch the replay. On to the second takeaway, product differentiation. Now, when it comes to the customers of Superfunds, they have a lot of choices. But what the team at Verve Super did is go to great lengths to set themselves apart. So not only did they tailor their fund to the needs of Australian women, but they wanted to offer a financial service with coaches and resources for their customers to feel empowered about all of their money, not just Super. So just like we talked about in takeaway number one, research will help you understand the wider life stage of your customer, so you know where they're at and you can offer that extra value they're looking for. And doing this will set you apart from your competitors. The third takeaway, co-founder compatibility. If you're in those first stages of starting your business, you might have thought to yourself, should I bring someone else on? And for some people like Christina and Alex, this worked really well. Christina and Alex needed someone who shared their vision, but ultimately had a different skill set, someone who could help run, provide and oversee the financial services portion of the business. Zoe not only had a proven track record for helping empower women financially, but she also clicked with her co-founders. So when it comes to co-founders, you need to think wisely Consider the roles and skills you both bring to the table, how you'll structure the partnership, how you'll deal with disputes, and even your eventual exit strategy before diving in. If you want to learn more about this, the Lady Startup Activation Plan course includes a whole bonus, the Business Partner Playbook, which covers all of this and more. Over eight steps, it's your no regrets guide to finding the right business partner and setting up your partnership the right way. The course is enrolling very soon for a limited time only. You can join the waitlist for the activation plan by clicking the link in the show notes or just Google Lady Startup Activation Plan. That's about all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Lady Startup is an education-based community for women looking to start and grow their own businesses and side hustles. The Lady Startup Academy offers a range of online courses to support businesses of all types, sizes, and stages. For more information, go to ladystartup.com.au. Lady Startup Stories is brought to you by Mamma Mia, produced by Michaela Floriano, and I'm your host, Shazzy Hunt. I'll see you next week. Bye.